Our scripture this evening comes from the first chapter of Acts, and uh, I'll read the first 11 verses of Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Here now is God speaks to us from his word this evening. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during the 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into the heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand look, looking into the heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up for you, from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that your word is a sufficient guide to prepare us to be your servants. And we ask now that as we look into your word this night, that by the power of your spirit, you will enable us both to understand and to take into not only our minds, but also our hearts, the things contained therein, and make us then, O Lord God in heaven, better servants of yours as we use your word for your glory. We make our petition to you in the name of Jesus, our Savior, and together we say, Amen. My mother really enjoyed doing crossword puzzles. She enjoyed them so much that she went around buying these little paperbacks just filled with uh, crossword puzzles. But my mother had a strange way of doing crossword puzzles. She would get her little book out, and she would start on the crossword puzzle, and she would work it and work it and work it. But if she didn't finish it at that time, she never went back to it. She went to a new one. It was like, you know, it was done whenever the time limit was up. Now, I have a lot of characteristics that are similar to my mother's, but that's one I didn't have. Because I can remember going to visit her, and she would have all these uh, paperbacks of crossword puzzles there, and I would pick them up and I would look at them, and there were crossword puzzles not finished. And I can't stand that. <laughs> so when I would go and visit my mother, I would find myself finishing all these crossword puzzles. And it became a joke, like my mother wouldn't finish them, so it would have something to do when I came to visit her. And so I like to finish things. It's just uh, something about my personality, lots of strange things, but that's another one of the strange ones. And I think that may be one of the reasons why I decided that we ought to finish the book of Acts that Pastor Andrew started a number of years back and uh, just didn't get done with it before he headed off to the Midwest. 
But I think there are other reasons that to continue to look at the uh, book of Acts other than this uh, uh, problem that I have of trying to finish things that just sit around unfinished. I think it's important for us to see the worldwide spread of the gospel. And I think this is an important topic, not only generally for Christians, but it's an important topic for those of us here at Trinity Church, that we remember that the church grows because the people of God engage in activities blessed by the work of the Spirit and through the power of Jesus Christ. And so in looking at the remainder, remaining uh, chapters in Acts, I hope that we'll be encouraged to engage in actions that God will use uh, to build his church here in Atboro and then to the uttermost parts of the world. There's another reason why I think it's useful for us to look at Acts is because in our own denomination in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, right now we're facing a dearth of missionaries. Now, we don't have missionaries in places where we already have mission stations established. And so it struck me that if we look at the way in which the church expands, and the church has expanded throughout all the world, it might remind us that it's for us to pray that since the fields are white for harvest, that God would send forth his labors. And so for those reasons, at least, it seemed worthwhile to me to finish what Andrew had started in the book of Acts. Now, in order to get back into the study of this book, I also thought it might be worthwhile for us to just have a little bit of a review of uh, the things that have happened uh, in, in Acts up until this point. And so we'll look at the book of Acts, trying in one evening to look at the first 18 chapters of this book, and then pick up with chapter 19, where Andrew left off. And in our review of the book, uh, we'll, we'll look at what Jesus did, and we'll look at those to whom he directed his work, and then the ones that he used to carry out his work, and finally, the powerful means uh, that pervades the entirety of this book. Uh, Luke's gospel and the book of Acts really comprise a kind of two-volume work that Luke puts together. And Luke's gospel, uh, as we're told, uh, uh, was addressed to a man named Theophilus, and so is this book. Uh, Theophilus means uh, one who is loved by God or one God loves. And in volume one of, uh, uh, of this uh, book, by, this multi-volume work by Luke, uh, Luke sets out what Jesus began to teach and to do until the day when he was uh, taken up into heaven. This second volume of Luke's work in Acts, just like the first volume showed what Jesus began to do, I take the position that this book tells us what Jesus continued to do. And so as we look at the book of Acts, we're going to see those things that Jesus continued to do in the building of his church. Uh, just as Luke tried to help Theophilus have certainty concerning the things he had been taught about Jesus, he now wants him to be sure that Jesus continues his work in building up his church. And so as we proceed through the book of Acts, it becomes apparent that Jesus is the one who has continued to carry out his work. I take it that Acts, in a sense, is a fulfillment of what Jesus told Peter and the rest of the disciples after Peter confessed him as Jesus the Christ. Back in Matthew 16, verse 18, Jesus tells, Jesus tells his disciples, he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. 
And not only do we see here in this first chapter of Acts, uh, uh, this in the first chapter of Acts, but we see it also in the way in which the apostles themselves, when they do things, they attribute this to the work of Jesus. Uh, Let's just look at a few of those examples. In chapter 3, you may remember that uh, Peter heals a man who was lame from birth. And in verse 6, Peter says to this lame man, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Then Peter goes before the council, before the Sanhedrin, to explain by what power he did this. And he says to them, rulers of, of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to, them, to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. And now, uh, Peter recognizes that it was Jesus who was at work in the book of Acts, and so he's the one who does these miracles. And so we can see the way in which Luke sets out for us the continuing work that Jesus does. Now, I think we have to remember that the book of Acts is not the end of Jesus' work. Uh, When the book of, of, of building his church, he continues to do that today. As a matter of fact, I think we could say that Jesus was at work in 1955, and because Jesus was at work in 1955 in Warminster and Hatboro, Pennsylvania, there is now a Trinity Orthodox Presbyterian Church. Now, some of you could get up and explain to me why you're a part of this congregation. In fact, why you're here tonight. How it is that you became a part of this church. And you may have all kinds of reasons why you've come into this church, but I contend that the reason why you're here, the reason why you're a part of this church, the reason why you've gathered tonight to worship this God who has called you into his church is because Jesus was at work in your life And by the power of his spirit, he brought you here to unite with the people of God. So I think we can't forget that Jesus doesn't retire, if you will, when Acts is done. Jesus continues to build his church. He's at work. And so I think we need to keep that in mind as we we look at the book of Acts and some of the things that are set before us. It tells us about Jesus at work, but it gives us ideas as well about the way in which Jesus continues to work. And we ought to be ready to testify that we have experienced the work of Jesus by the power of his spirit. And that's why we now are united to the church of Jesus Christ and in particular united to this church. Now, the way in which Jesus built his church was to begin amongst those who we might call the children of Abraham, among the Jews who were gathered together uh, in uh, Jerusalem. That's where this begins. And we see, uh, first of all, all those, uh, this, this in the very early parts of the book, that when all those people had gathered together in Jerusalem, <clears throat> this was on the day of Pentecost, and there were people from all over the world that had come, all over the known world. Uh, these were Jews who had been scattered. And so the Jews came back to Jerusalem. You may know this story about Pentecost. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon uh, those people who were gathered there uh, in Jerusalem, in the, the early chapters of, of, of Acts tells us uh, that uh, the Holy Spirit comes in power And he demonstrates that power, and we'll see that as we go along. The earlier chapters of Acts, then, as I say, emphasize uh, gospel to Jews, and especially to those in Jerusalem. 
But this continues, not only in that first chapter, but in the second chapter, but even up to chapter 8. And here we have the story of the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch. Now, I take it that, that this Ethiopian eunuch is a proselyte. He's one who has joined in with the Jewish church, the Old Testament church. Uh, that's why he was in Jerusalem. He was there to worship, uh, which in my mind makes it clear that he was a proselyte. He had uh, converted to Judaism. Uh, the Apostle Paul himself also continues the practice of going to the Jews, first of all, in his preaching. In chapter 9 of this book, in the 20th verse, we read of Paul following his conversion. And what we read there is, Luke tells us, he immediately proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues. So there was this focus, first of all, on taking the gospel to the people of Israel, to the Jews. Now, we would be people of most miserable if Jesus only built his church among those who were committed to Judaism, because few of us here have that ethnic connection to Judaism. That would mean that the gospel was denied to us. We would not have been those people who had heard the good news, and we would have no part, no place as members of the church of Jesus Christ. But Acts makes it clear that the church was to be extended not just to Jews, but also to Gentiles. Uh, In fact, much of what we see in Acts is really the story of the way in which the gospel goes out, and it goes to Jews, but it also goes to Gentiles. And the extension to, to Gentiles not only fills the pages of Acts, but it's also a reason for much of the controversy that we would see in the book of Acts. The book unfolds as we see it, and we see that the apostles regularly addressed the good news first to the Jews, then to the Gentiles. And Acts makes it clear that, that no one should be surprised that the gospel went to the Gentiles. We see this in the way in which Luke records the story of uh, uh, Peter in Acts uh, chapter 10, where he sees the vision of the sheet from heaven coming down with all those unclean animals on it. And the voice from heaven says, take and eat. And Peter says, no way, no way. I never let those things cross my lips. I'm not going to eat them because they're unclean. And uh, uh, the voice from heaven says, don't call anything that I have made unclean. This is a precursor because we then see some messengers arrive from Caesarea and these messengers come from Caesarea and they come to find Peter and they come to take him back with them. And when he got there, Peter preached the gospel to those who had gathered in the house of Cornelius and these people believed. And we know that these people were converted because the Spirit of God comes upon them and the same phenomena that happened at Pentecost amongst the Jews also happens amongst these Gentiles that had gathered together in Cornelius' home. And so the movement of the gospel to to non-Jews continues on. We see this even uh, when they were spread out as a result of the persecutions uh, that came with the time when we see in Acts the death of Stephen and the martyrdom of Stephen. After the martyrdom of Stephen, uh, the persecution continued and the people were spread all over the place. And uh, um, uh, Luke 11 tells us that there were, after the gospel had gone out to the Jews, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus, and Cyrene, who coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also at preaching the good news. The movement to preach to the Gentiles continued, um, and this is one of those ways in which a crisis came to the church. We see this coming to a, a head in Acts chapter 15, because the Jews were confused about what you do with Gentiles. 
because uh, throughout their history, they had been separated. That was one of the things that made Jews different. They were God's chosen people, and everybody who wasn't a Jew wasn't God's chosen person. And they thought of ways in which people could become proselytes, could become parts of Judaism, but this required them to adopt all of the Jewish uh, practices, uh, both the moral law, if you will, but also the ceremonial law. But there was this struggle in the church as to whether Gentiles had to go through all of the ceremonial law or not. And when we get to Acts chapter 15, the a council of uh, the apostles and the elders make this determination that Gentiles are not required to obey the ceremonial law. Uh, they don't have to be circumcised, for example, in order for them to be Christians. And so we see the way in which the church expands to go out amongst uh, the Gentiles as well. Now, as the gospel went to the Gentiles, uh, it also went not only from different ethnic groups, but it also went in different places. Uh, the, the gospel started off in Jerusalem. Now, the message about Jesus, the growth of the church started there, and uh, the church grew from this original place in, in uh, Jerusalem until we get to chapter 19, and when we get to chapter 19, we're hearing about the gospel where? In uh, Ephesus and in Corinth, for example. And as Luke uh, records this, this geographic expansion along with this ethnic expansion. He's showing how uh, Jesus fulfilled his command uh, to his people. Look at the Acts 1.8. These people will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So as Jesus grew his church among the Jews initially, then among the Gentiles, he made it possible for us to become a part of the church if either the ethnic or the geographic expansion of the gospel hadn't happened, we would be without the gospel. We would be without hope. We would be like those people that Paul describes in Ephesians chapter 2. Let me just read to you Ephesians 2, 12 and 13. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been <clears throat> brought near by the blood of Christ. Now the rejection of the gospel by the Jews, we find recorded in Acts, is something that was predicted in the Old Testament. And not only was it predicted that the Jews would reject it, but as a result of their rejection, then the gospel would go to the Gentiles. And we see an example of this rejection by the Gentiles in Antioch. And Paul tells them when he's preaching to them there as in, in chapter 13, he quotes from Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6. Let me just read to you Acts 13, 46 through 47, where that quote appears. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first of all to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles, for, the, for so the Lord commanded us. This is where he refers to Isaiah chapter 49. He says, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Now, as we have seen the way in which Jesus was at work growing his church, we, we should also note the way in which he uses various instruments to do this, namely people. And Luke records very clearly, and we're going to look at this in a minute, the way in which he used Peter and the way in which he used Paul. 
Uh, but, when the, but they're not the only ones. As a matter of fact, they, 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 uh, some of the others have very important roles. When the Holy Spirit fell upon the 120 people who were gathered in the upper room, uh, those who spoke in various languages uh, to all those uh, Jews who had gathered there on the day of Pentecost coming from all these different nations, uh, Luke tells us the Jews from the various parts of the world have said, We hear them, that is the 120, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And as I mentioned earlier, it was these unnamed men uh, from Cyprus and from Cyrene uh, who preached to the Lord Jesus. I fear we have a tendency, uh, we have a tendency to think that only ones who can really speak the gospel to other people, uh, especially to non-believers, are those who are somehow specially trained. And that doesn't seem to be the way in which Jesus works in building his church. In Acts, he uses people whose names we don't even know. You know, there were 120 of them. We know some names, we don't know that. Those people who from Antioch and from Cyprus and from Cyrene, their names don't even get in here. They're just what I would call ordinary people, people just like we are. Nothing special, they're not apostles, anything like that. And I think we have to be sensitive to the fact that Jesus builds his church and he does it by using just regular people. I think sometimes I'm I'm very prone to, to forget And sometimes I forget that God uses, that Jesus uses ordinary people because I'm just plain frightened, scared about talking to people about the gospel. I think that happens to me. And uh, this notion that I'm responsible to Jesus uh, to, to be used by him to spread the gospel is something that it's easy for me to kind of push to the corners of my mind because not only is that a forgetfulness, but it's also a kind of dread that leads to that kind of uh, forgetfulness. And I just imagine that I'm not the only one in this room who understands what it is to forget and understands what it means to forget because of dread. But we have to remember, Jesus uses people to bring the gospel to other people. I mean, that's, that's the characteristic of it. Mrs. Shannon presented the gospel to me. Mrs. Shannon was just an ordinary housewife who had three red-headed kids and I had a red-headed brother. So we had something in common and she told me about who the Lord Jesus was. Eileen Nevin taught me in a Sunday school where the gospel wasn't preached and she happened to believe in Jesus. Just ordinary people. I know. I know God uses ordinary people to bring the gospel to others. And yet I'm scared. I'm often frightened in doing that. But we need to remember, Acts sets out to us that it is much, many times these ordinary people who bring the gospel to people. And uh, we also see in, in this that, that uh, uh, he uses per- people in particular, and we see these two particular people of uh, Peter and Paul. 
And the first part of Acts features the work of Peter. That's, that's who we see first. If you are a student of Acts, you know that the first part of it tends to have Peter as the main character, and the second part of Acts it tends to have uh, a Paul as the main character. And sometimes uh, their buddies get in it, but we never know quite what they do. I've often puzzled. Peter and John did this, but it's all about what Peter said. Uh, Paul and Barnabas do things, but it's all about what Paul has to say. So, uh, but God does use these two, and uh, Peter is a spokesman for the Lord uh, in the very beginning. And uh, uh, let me just take a little bit of time here to sort of pick out some things that Acts helps us, uh, points out to us about this person, uh, Peter. Uh, the first thing I think is important is that that his proclamation is filled with references to the Old Testament. This is apparent right at the beginning of Peter's first sermon, if you will. Uh, what does he do? He goes back to Joel chapter 2, and he begins to expound that passage. And in doing that, he refers also to a couple of Psalms, Psalm 16 and also Psalm 110. After he heals the lame man, uh, Peter explains what happened as he's at the portico of, of Solomon. And there he refers to uh, Deuteronomy 18, then again to Genesis 22. And not only did Peter use the Old Testament, but uh, uh, Peter also, when he was preaching to people on a regular basis, confronts the Jews with the murder of Jesus and of Jesus' resurrection. This is, this is something that is quite common. We see this in uh, Peter's Pentecost sermon. We see it again in his explanation of the healing of the lame man in Acts 3. We see it again uh, in uh, Acts chapter 4 after his marvelous de deliverance uh, from the temple jail. And we see it again in Acts 5 when he gets his defense before the Sanhedrin. And this emphasis on the death and resurrection was not only for a Jewish audience, but Peter also presents the same kind of message when he speaks to the Gentiles uh, at the home of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. And I point this out because I think this is an example that is worthwhile for us to uh, uh, emulate, to follow. Uh, the proclamation of the gospel is word-based, and it centers on the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And oftentimes, we think witnessing is talking about us. But the New Testament, and particularly Acts, I think makes it very clear that it's talking about the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. As I think about Peter and the way he is described in, uh, in Acts, I can't help but also comparing Peter described in Acts with the way in which he ends up being described in the Gospels. And you remember that Peter is the one who denies Jesus. This is Peter who denies him after he says, I'm ready to die. I'm not going to deny you. Three times. And we see Peter, by and large, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke's Gospel, as one who is dejected. He's described as weeping after he realizes that he has uh, denied Jesus three times. John talks about his restoration at the end of John, but in those three Gospels, you see Peter as, 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 a, as a dejected man. He's a, he's a coward, and he has been most concerned about his own well-being. He was just downright frightened. And then we see Peter in Acts, you see. Acts chapter 2, the Jews say, those people are speaking in tongues because they're drunk. And Peter steps forward 
and says, they aren't drunk, it's only the third hour. Now let me tell you something. And he goes to explain to them from Joel chapter 2, and he looks at those Jews and he talks to them about how they, the leaders of the Jews, how you, the leaders of the Jews, murdered this Jesus and God raised him from the dead. That striking contrast that we see with Peter, that boldness that he had in the Gospels early on, and then that dejected character, we now see him bold. And I love that story of Peter. Because I understand Peter. I understand what it's like to be frightened about owning up to Jesus. I understand what it's like to be hesitant to speak about Peter. But I take great comfort in the fact that just when I'm scared, just when I'm frightened, I remember the way in which the Lord Jesus Christ restored Peter and the way in which the Spirit of God dwelt in him and he had power to go and to speak. Those people that he cowered from there in that place where Jesus was on trial, now he stands before them and says, you murdered Jesus, but God raised him from the dead that take great comfort that the God of the Bible, the Lord Jesus, the main character in Acts, is the one who changes people. And so I make that prayer. Make me like Peter. Not the Peter of the Gospels, but the Peter of Acts. And that's the power of the Lord Jesus at work. We also see, as I said, not only Peter, but we see the use of of Paul. He's the other principal character in Acts. We're not going to take as much time looking at Paul because uh, the part that we're going to cover in the next uh, few sermons mostly deals with with, uh, Paul. But Paul, like Peter, provides us with some striking contrasts. We first of all see uh, Paul in Acts chapter 7. This is where Stephen is being martyred. And while the people are throwing stones at uh, Stephen, they had to take their cloaks off. And where do they put their cloaks? They laid them down at the feet of this guy, Saul, who eventually became Paul. That's who he was. We see this in Acts chapter 7. In Acts chapter 8, the third verse, we read, Paul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. But the next chapter, we're told of Paul on his way to Damascus. He's described by Luke as still breathing out threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. And we're all well aware what happened to Paul on the road to Damascus. The light came down upon him and the voice of Jesus came to him. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Jesus commissions this hater of the church, this one who imprisoned Christians, to be But he says, to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And again, I find great comfort in that wonderful transformation. I don't know if you're like I am, but I make quick judgments about people who are good candidates to talk to about the gospel. I mean, I look at somebody and they seem friendly and Maybe I'll talk to them about the gospel. But there are other people that I make a judgment. They're just not the kind of people to whom I should speak the gospel. And I remember Paul. I remember him. Who would have thought that Paul would become a Christian? Who would have thought that? I still remember vividly 
how that, that remembrance of Paul was stuck into my heart like a dagger. We had John Piper come to speak when I was teaching at seminary. And John Piper leads in prayer. And the first thing John Piper does, he prays that God would convert Osama bin Laden. And I thought, that's not what I think about Osama bin Laden. I don't think about the power of God coming to work in his life. And if you'd have asked me before John Piper's prayer, I would have said, come on. But I remembered Paul. And I think we need to remember that. We need to remember the power of God. And we're going to come back and look at that a little bit as we go on. The power of God that came to work in this man, Paul, and the way in which he was transformed. And we see that transforming power, this powerful means that Jesus uses throughout the book of Acts. The story of Jesus continuing his work of building his church is the focus of Acts, but there's one powerful means that Jesus uses that takes center stage. He sends his Holy Spirit on his church at Pentecost, and we see him working throughout the book. The power of the Holy Spirit permeates this book, and Jesus made it clear to his followers that he would send the Holy Spirit. Listen again to Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And from Acts 2, throughout the remainder of the book, we see the way in which the Holy Spirit empowers his church. He makes it clear that he is working when he comes to new converts. And these new converts speak languages, other people's languages, never languages that they had known before. He empowers, as we said already, the cowardly Peter to boldly proclaim the gospel to those Jewish leaders that he feared. He works in the Apostle Paul in his various preaching sentiments. But Jesus does not take his spirit from the church. When the record of Acts stops, he still empowers his people. And if you are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you make the confession that you have been saved by grace, if you make the confession that you trust that the Lord Jesus Christ, when he died upon Calvary's cross, bore your sins, if you believe that Jesus has separated your sins as far from you as the east is from the west, if you believe that God doesn't remember your sins any longer. You have the same Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that transformed Peter, that transformed Paul. I say that you and I need to hear that spirit and that power. He is in us. He does his work in us. And if we have our doubts, I commend to you a little bit of reflection. Some of us have, have, have been changed, have been converted by, by the power of the Spirit working in our hearts. And we know what our lives were like before we believed in Jesus. And we know what our lives are like after we've believed in Jesus. We know the power of the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit that was evident in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit who gave power to these people to carry the gospel to the end of the earth, is the same Holy Spirit who's in your hearts. And he can empower you 
to do the very same things that he did in Acts. And my experience when I was teaching, giving uh, times of review, uh, came out mixed. Uh, sometimes I would go over and review things because I thought the students really knew them, and then I saw the, you know, looks around, come on, quit boring us, Curry, we know all that stuff, you know, get me something I can write into my notes. And so if I've bored you this evening because you're well aware of Acts, praise the Lord, you know what Acts is about. It's a wonderful book that tells us about the wonderful way in which the Lord Jesus Christ builds his church, builds his church even containing you. Rejoice. If you benefited from a bit of review, in particular if you remembered the way in which Jesus himself builds his church and the way in which he's worked in your life by the power of the Spirit and by the power of his Spirit so that you can come and be a part of this church, then I encourage you to rejoice also. But for both categories, those of you who didn't need a review and for those of you who did, I challenge you to embrace the Jesus who builds his church. Don't go out of here tonight without remembering Jesus is the reason why you're a part of the church of Jesus Christ. In eternity past, he loved you. And he loved you so that he came upon this earth and he died upon Calvary's cross so that you might be washed. (laughs) So as Larry's been telling us week after week so that our sins might be forgiven. That's why we're a part of the church. And he has given us his spirit so that we can live for his glory. He has given us his spirit so that we can be instruments in his hand building his church. Yeah. That includes Alan Curry. And it includes Luke Brown. It includes Tom Tomer. It includes Joel Bacon. It includes every one of us here tonight that we have been saved by Jesus and he's given us his spirit of power. And that powerful spirit can change people's hearts, people's hearts like Paul, but even followers of Jesus who are weak and cowardly like Peter. Luke wanted Theophilus to be convinced about who Jesus was and what he believed about him. And he continues to want us to be convinced about what Jesus does to build his church. And what Jesus does to build his church is to use people like you and people like me. And the amazing thing is, Jesus can do it. Let's submit to his power and do it as he commands us. Go therefore into all the world and make disciples, teaching them. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we, we, we rejoice that you're our God. Your goodness to us is, is simply amazing. We know oftentimes that we are weak and we have a tendency to be even deniers of you. But we know you work in us and we thank you, Sovereign Spirit, that you dwell in us. And we pray, Sovereign Spirit, that you will manifest your power through us and in us. And we pray, O Lord God in heaven, that you will grant us the wondrous mercy 
that we might speak the gospel and we might see people interested. Yes, Lord, we pray that we might speak the gospel and people will embrace you in faith and we can see you, Lord Jesus, building your church through people like us. Oh, how we long for that. Grant it to us, Lord Jesus, we pray. And together we say, amen.